1: She ended up rising to the position of high priestess within the coven. Is that hard to do? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Guides to the Unknown. I'm Kristen.
0: I'm William.
1: And you may see we're in a different location today because we're recording live from the Sayreville Public Library where one of our listeners, Jennifer, works and asked us to come do a show here. So thank you very much, Jennifer.
0: Yeah, it's very yeah. cool. This is the first time that we've ever done a uh, live show out in the wild we've never really left the basement very no. much unless we're you in know general. traveling somewhere or sitting in a car talking about something right yeah so we brought out all our gear we've got a few uh, visual aids of something that we're going to talk about tonight mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's going to be fun so uh, maybe for the people out there in radio land make some noise let them know you're here <laughs> <laughs> that's just to prove that there are other people in the room yes Yes. Imagine a, a cathedral <laughs> full, hundreds of people. That's what's on the other side of the camera from us.
1: They are freaking out. It's a little bit quieter than you might think as some people are, are on the ground rolling around in the throes of ecstasy for getting to see us. They can't believe
0: it. It's like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. People Absolutely. are freaking out. They tried to break down the yeah. door to get in.
1: They had. And, and I'm Ringo. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's two Ringos. Yep. Yeah.
1: So tonight we are going to talk about grimoires, mm. spell books that have a lot of history and lore and have some pop culture significance that you may have heard of before.
0: Yeah, so um, I don't know literally what grimoires specifically are, but I think probably the most famous example of a grimoire is something you may have heard of called the Necronomicon. Right. Are you familiar with this at all? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> One? Okay. So uh, the Necronomicon uh, is a, a, a book of spells. It has uh, references to different kinds of monsters, entries in it. You can think of it something like an encyclopedia mm-hmm. about demons. Uh, And one of the most famous instances of the Necronomicon popping up in pop culture is in a movie series called Evil Dead. Right. Evil Dead is, you can think of it kind of like a character fighting zombies, something like that. But they're all born out of the Necronomicon. Somebody picks up this book, which is bound in human flesh. It is written in blood. And when they read an incantation, it brings the dead out, attacking
1: that's right. But not all grimoires are necessarily that hardcore. Some are. It's kind of up to the author. It can be whatever you want it to be, basically. It's basically a catch-all term for a magical textbook. Um, so they can contain spells and instructions for putting together rituals, um, putting together magical objects, like creating jewelry out of things that have significance, divination, invoking spirits or demons, like in the Necronomicon. Basically, anything of magical significance to the person who writes it. It or puts it together. So they can be for good or evil. Basically, as long as they deal with like the occult and the unknown and mystical things, that can count as a grimoire. Um, and I thought that was interesting. It's called a grimoire. The etymology is from a French word that I will not pronounce correctly. It's an old French word, gramaire. Um, which was originally used to refer to books that were in Latin. And because a lot of old magical texts were in Latin, those things ended up getting mushed together over time so that in the 1700s, eventually the word grimoire just came to mean like a magical text. So depending on the book, either some people believe that the books themselves have magical properties physically, like the books can protect themselves, repel things, or what's in the book can be sort of enlivened and given magical power by the person doing whatever they're going to do with it. And now to throw to on the evil side, the Necronomicon.
0: Definitely evil. The Necronomicon in particular is supposed to be like a tome of uh, great evil, great ill will. It holds a lot of spirits. In the Evil Dead series, it's said that it cannot be destroyed. They try to burn it. They try to cut it. Whatever. You cannot destroy this book. Um, and then uh, uh, I uh, went ahead and Googled, can I get my own Necronomicon? And for 7 at Barnes & Noble, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to get this deadly, dangerous copy of the Simon Necronomicon. Who is Simon? I don't know.
1: Did you get that recently? Yeah,
0: I got this today. <laughs> wow. I picked this up today from were Barnes & Were there a bunch of
1: copies of the Necronomicon there?
0: I don't know. I made an okay. odd choice, I must admit.
1: Okay. Did you like pre-order or something?
0: I, I didn't pre-order it. I, I did go online to try to find a Necronomicon because it occurred to me, while we're doing the show, I can look up stuff about the Necronomicon that I can tell you about, but hey, wouldn't it also be great? if there was a Necronomicon that I could buy. Right. And so I looked online and I saw that Barnes & Noble had it for $8. Yeah. (laughs) Figured, why not? A steal at any price. So I placed an online order that I had to go pick up.
1: That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So So you didn't go browse the shelves. I did
0: not browse the shelves. But it did occur to me at a certain point that like I uh, – so I am a a horror writer. And I wear all black all the time. (laughs) And then I went midday to Barnes & Noble Um. alone – to pick up my copy of the Necronomicon.
1: They probably thought you were a dark warlock.
0: They were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a dark warlock. Um, but it was kind of embarrassing. I was a little embarrassed. That and is, then I immediately went over and sat in the little cafe and feverishly read my new copy of the Necronomicon.
1: That's less dark. So I think that you may have negated some of like the dark air. I also think pre-ordering it from Barnes & Noble might undercut the evilness of the whole thing. Like if you have to buy a paperback Necronomicon, so they might not have thought you were as scary and crazy looking as we're painting it. Oh,
0: a thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. I think that the fact that this is something that you can buy from Amazon or from Barnes & Noble really uh, explains that this is not true or to be Yeah, it's not to be taken super seriously. Not at all. Uh, But I will say where it comes from, The Necronomicon was first mentioned by the horror writer H.P. Lovecraft. And it first appeared. It appeared in his first, uh, it first appeared in the 1924 story, The Hound, uh, where it is said to be bound in human skin. That's a story about grave robbers. I actually talked about that on a previous episode of the show. Uh, And the, the term Necronomicon comes from three things Necros, meaning dead, Namos, meaning law, And icon, meaning image. So it's an image of the laws of the dead. It is a book that's supposed to explain the rules of the afterlife and demons and so on. H.P. Lovecraft also wrote a book called The History of the Necronomicon. He wrote that in 1927, but it wasn't published until after his death. It was not the Necronomicon itself. He wrote a book about the fictional history of the Necronomicon, the ways that it passed hands, the ways that it pops up in history over the course of hundreds of years. It was said to originally have been written by Abdul al Alhazred mm-hmm. in Sumeria, uh, who was half crazed and was essentially writing down in this book his own personal experiences of coming across arcane artifacts that explained the world of the dead and gods and Babylonian figures and... The Necronomicon yeah. is his personalized account, Okay. his individual experiences. And H.P. Lovecraft says that this book at one point also popped up in Salem, uh, which obviously implies that it was part of the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, – at the same time, I should also say, H.P. Lovecraft never professed that this was a real book. Okay. He was always very upfront about the fact that this was something that he made up. He had completely invented this for a horror story. He was a horror writer. Nevertheless, a lot of people took it really seriously.
1: Just because it was so cool. They were like, I want this to be real, mm -hmm. so let's buy into it. Yes,
0: a lot of people would start incorporating the Necronomicon into things that they themselves had written, uh, which I quite frankly think is where even the movie series Evil Dead kind of plays into a a nearly 100-year-long tradition of pretending that this book exists. Why don't we just write this into our movie? A lot of horror movies have done the same thing. Use the Necronomicon, even though it has never actually been a tangible thing you could hold on to.
1: But now it's, it's so woven into like horror lore that it's almost real in that way. It's something yeah. that you can reference, and a lot of people have a reference point for it. Yes. If, for no, if nothing else, they know it's a scary book.
0: A thousand percent. And that's why in 1977, an anonymous guy calling himself Simon wrote this version of the Necronomicon that I'm currently holding in my hands, um, saying that it is... Part of that lineage. This is essentially being professed to be the Necronomicon that H.P. Lovecraft originally wrote about. Um,
1: Was H.P. Lovecraft around when he wrote this? Do you know? Like, I wonder when this was written. Yes. No.
0: Okay. No, he would have been dead for about nearly forty years.
1: Okay. Very good. Uh huh. Not. Yeah. That's a hard no. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: he he was toast. (laughs) Um. So I, uh, I read the Necronomicon.
1: Okay. Cover to cover.
0: And I lived to tell the tale. Uh, no, yeah. uh, honestly, if I was going to give a true book review mm-hmm. of the Necronomicon, a little dry, skip it. It's a yeah. snoozer. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to this show instead. You're yeah. going to get everything you need to know. It'll be the Cliffs Notes. I'm about to read from the Necronomicon. If a demon appears, I should also say we're not responsible <laughs> for what it might do.
1: No. Also spoiler alerts for the Necronomicon. Exactly. Yeah, spoiler alert
0: <laughs> for the Necronomicon. So, uh, this book is like, uh, I don't know almost 400 pages long. Mm-hmm. The first 80 pages are a series of forewords by Simon, by the editor. It's just all pages? context. It's about 80 pages of pure setup. They it's constantly a navel book. A thousand percent. They constantly mention H.P. Lovecraft, uh, the old gods, which H.P. Lovecraft wrote about these sort of intangible evil things that are older than the world. The old gods like Cthulhu um, and uh, Marduk and mm-hmm. hey.
1: Marmaduke? Does he he come up?
0: There are a series of great Marmadukes (laughs) halfway through this book. You
1: should really read them. He won't get off the couch.
0: (laughs) Uh, Pazuzu Ah. is referenced in the book. Okay. There are actually like a few like movie references in the book that I find both interesting and kind of odd.
1: Yeah, that's weird. It's very weird. When did you say this was written again?
0: 1977.
1: Okay, so The Exorcist was out by then, right? The
0: Exorcist is referenced in yeah. this.
1: Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. I,
0: I I straight up think that this is born out of not only um, a lot of appreciation for uh, sort of the odd fourth wall breaking horror that H.P. Lovecraft was doing. Mm-hmm. I also think that in the 70s there was a cultural fascination with uh, – Uh, demonic entities because if you look at the Omen, if you look at the Exorcist, there was obviously something in the zeitgeist. There was a through line in a lot of media that you can become possessed, that demons can take over you. And I kind of think that this book is riding on that wave. Um, So uh, at a certain point when they're mentioning gods like Cthulhu, they also mention, I just liked this, they mention Azatoth, the blind idiot god (laughs) 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 of the gods... You don't want to be called the blind idiot. God. I also think
1: you don't want to be calling a god a blind idiot. You would think Whoever names the god that I feel like is in big trouble.
0: I don't know. I just I don't know. want to be more know. careful. But are we supposed to fear the blind idiot? <laughs> it's one thing to be called blind. If you're blind, you're blind. Yeah, right. But an idiot.
1: Absolutely. That's the real problem yeah, there.
0: the idiot god. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's. I'm going to read to you an excerpt. Okay. Uh, From the beginning here, uh, which sort of gets into the idea of not just the Necronomicon, but grimoires. What are books like this? These were the sorcerer's handbooks, and generally not meant as textbooks or encyclopedias of ceremonial magic. Magic with a K. Mm -hmm. Of course. In other words, the sorcerer or magician is supposed to be in possession of the requisite knowledge and training with which uh, to carry out a complex magical ritual. Just as a cook is expected to be able to master the scrambling of eggs before he conjures an eggs benedict.
1: Conjures an eggs benedict.
0: You ever go so to a restaurant ins- and they conjure some eggs ex- ex- Benedict for
1: you? So we're just inserting magical language wherever we can. Absolutely. Even as it pertains to making ex Benedict.
0: I love the mundane. This guy's all in. Yeah, I love the mundane I'll say reality. That. You can see what he's going for, though. Yes. These books are not supposed to be an instructional guide of how to do stuff. They assume that you might have some knowledge of your own already. you got to bring right. that to the table. But I just love that they talk about conjuring, conjuring ex-, Benedict. ex Benedict. Also, the people who write the Necronomicon are totally the kinds of people who use words like conjure.
1: Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, if you're using it in reference to food, yeah. then you know that's sprinkled liberally throughout their vocabulary. Yeah, because that's like the least of the things you would conjure.
0: Absolutely, much like I liberally sprinkle cheese on <laughs> I just many really a say meal.
1: Sprinkling, yeah. Um, anyway,
0: they also say that uh, the original manuscript was produced by a priest who was ordained by uncanonical methods. Oh. They really want to paint a picture that this was yeah. sort of an unusual book that was uh, crafted over the course of it's a long the time. Grid. Yeah, it's off the grid. It's made by strange, odd people. Uh, they couldn't tell what they were looking at. The book was originally written in Greek. Um, they couldn't overlook that the title was the Necronomicon, mm-hmm. much like they couldn't ignore uh, what they say are a bunch of weird drawings inside. <laughs> and truthfully, the Necronomicon has a bunch of symbols inside their entire – you know there'll be dozens of pages in a row where they just are listing out different you know forms that a god took and the symbol associated with that form things like that
1: are they referring to them as weird drawings
0: yes they say that they are weird drawings
1: it's so strange to be so formal that you call making eggs benedict conjuring exactly and then take a look at symbols that symbolize gods and call those weird drawings yes there (laughs) seems to be a disconnect with uh, old simon
0: i completely agree with you i think it's really uh kind of interesting and it sort of almost speaks to like uh, this matter-of-fact reality that produced this particular edition of this book. Right. The Necronomicon contains references to weird drawings and eggs Benedict. <laughs> yeah, and it's considered to be the most evil, you know, like, it d-
1: This doesn't seem like a really, like, serious book. No.
0: It, uh, some of it is, some of it isn't. Hmm. We'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit. Um, so uh, they couldn't be sure what they'd been handed um, but then, uh, as they started to try to translate the book, they started realizing the kinds of trouble they were in. A great deal of misfortune accompanied the publication of this book. First, we went through more than one translator. Okay. I know. I want to know the context. Did the people yeah. die of fright? Did they just go what like? Does
1: that? Yeah, this
0: stinks. I
1: have to say that's vague enough that it sounds like translators could have just quit. We yeah. went through. I they want to say like right. multiple translators have perished while working on this project. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's
0: creative. Uh, the last finally absconded with his preface, describing his work in such detail. Uh, uh, in some detail, mm. uh, this we will have to do from memory in the following pages at one point an unscrupulous publisher from the west coast took a copy of the initial preface and some of the miscellaneous pages in translation including some dummies which we were in the habit of giving potential publishers for our protection
1: Oh, boy. Sort
0: of annoying to work with.
1: Yes, definitely. And then does that mean that this 80-page forward was actually going to be like 90?
0: Maybe. I don't abs- know. Yeah, steal more pages. Yeah, 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 We need more unscrupulous publishers to take Weird. more pages of this intro. Um, at a crucial stage in the preparation of the manuscript, the editor was stricken with a collapsed lung and had to undergo emergency surgery to save his life. Okay. So, uh, you know, we've covered other stuff on the show where people go into haunted houses mm-hmm. and things like that and end up finding themselves in the hospital. Um, they also at one point explained that uh, somebody was attacked by their own dog while they were working on this book. Just the point is, yeah, you know,
1: some, some terror has
0: befallen those who worked on this book. Absolutely. Um, so the book is obsessed with Sumerian history and Sumerian folklore. Sumeria mm-hmm. is basically modern day Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I could think about was Ghostbusters. Yeah, there's a lot of Sumerian talk. A lot of Sumerian talk. Egon and Ray are constantly talking about ancient Babylonian demons and right. Sumerian gods and stuff like that. That was kind of exciting. Yeah. Honestly, I ended up looking up a lot of Ghostbuster stuff because of reading this book <laughs> and it just means I'm going to watch a bunch of Ghostbusters movies. Yeah. Uh, if one good thing comes out of reading the Necronomicon, it's that just I will get... Watching Ghostbusters. Yet another excuse to watch Ghostbusters. I was about to say, like
1: you needed one.
0: <laughs> I'm always looking yeah. <laughs> for one. Yeah. They talk about how uh, Marduk... Destroyer of Chaos, defeated Tiamat the same way a famous movie ends. Okay. Uh, It was in much the same fashion that the chief of police from Amity Island slays the great white shark in Jaws Hmm. by blowing an evil wind, which was an oxygen tank in the movie, into her mouth and sending an arrow after it to explode her.
1: Okay. Why are they making – why are they drawing that parallel?
0: Because – Uh, surely the two or three most box office successful films of the past few years, Jaws, the exorcist, and perhaps the Godfather are an indication that the essence of Sumerian mythology is making itself felt in a very real way in this, the latter half of the 20th century. They're saying that even culture of the time, which is still, I think modern pop culture um, uh, is a descendant of Sumerian mythology of Marduk defeating Tiamat. Hmm. Jaws is just the latest incarnation Strang. of the classic Marduk Tiamat
1: Right, exactly. Story. It's
0: just the the latest iteration of Marduk. Yeah. It <laughs> um, seems like
1: a little bit of a stretch, you
0: know? <laughs> oh, it's a definite stretch. Yeah. A thousand yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, I think the final thing I'm going to deliberately literally read from the book and then mm-hmm. talk about some of the other stuff. Uh, this is what I had really been waiting for. I had to get through a bunch of the book to get to the one thing I actually wanted, okay. which was a disclaimer about the danger of the book. That is what I wanted out of the Necronomicon. All right. In the interim period between the translation and the publication of this work, the editor, along with a circle of initiates in another discipline, undertook an experiment with the rituals and forces outlined in the Necronomicon. In using the material alone, Or within a Western ceremonial structure, we came upon startling discoveries. In both cases, there are no effective banishings for the forces invoked in the Necronomicon itself. They warn you: do not summon demons from the Necronomicon because you cannot make them. There's no one doing it. You're stuck with them. Yeah, they're going to be your new roommate. Um, It's a serious undertaking. It is. So the essential structure (laughs) of the Necronomicon is as follows. This is a text that was compiled by Abdul Al-Azrahid, who uh, essentially came across all these texts, had a horrific experience with it, and tried to document what happened to him so it would not happen to other people. Do not follow the stuff that he put in the book. He's Mm -hmm. just sort of documenting it out. So why be so
1: specific about it? Um, you know, I guess you could say that's being specific so you don't accidentally stumble on doing these things right. and have the same fate. Right. But you could also say that being so specific would lead people to do that if they were so inclined. You could be giving a little bit of a guidebook to a bad guy.
0: That's true. Is that perhaps the influence of the demons themselves? Hard to say. My God, who knows? My God. My God. <laughs> so the book, the, the true Necronomicon opens with an account from Abdul where he's explaining what happened to him, how he found this, uh, you know, a series of symbols. Here's what the symbols mean. And now I'm going to explain to you uh, all the rest of the books of the Necronomicon. Okay. It starts with the Zoni, which is about astrology. Mm-hmm. I did not get very far into that. Okay. Then they get into the Book of Entrance, which explains how those celestial bodies can be arranged to form gates. Then comes the incantation of the gates, which is about how you interact with those gates, how you might travel through them or get stuff to come out of them. Okay. There's the conjuration of the fire god, literally a one-page speech where you try to get the fire god to appear. Who is the fire god?
1: We don't find out.
0: I have no idea who very that is. good. Very good. Uh, there's the conjuration <laughs> of the watcher. Watchers are basically angels, but said to be mindless. They're also very good at what they do. They
1: watch. Okay, so it's their singular focus.
0: They don't even care what they watch.
1: Okay, they just are they affecting what they watch? I don't know. Like, why do you want to conjure them if they're mindless and they're just going to watch you,
0: Kristen? We may never know. (laughs)
1: If only there were some way.
0: (laughs) If only there was a way. Uh, There's the Book of Maklu, which includes the infamous Zilka Zilka Besa Besa text.
1: Try googling that. It
0: gives you nothing. (laughs) Um, there are tons of things about exorcisms, though. On page 86, there's the exorcism against the possessing spirit, which says, The demon that seizeth man, the demon that seizeth man, the Gigam who warreth evil, the spawn of the wicked spirit, spirit of the sky, remember, spirit of the earth, remember. And you'll get rid of a demon oh, okay. that's possessing you. So just play that back.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> if you yeah, yeah.
0: Find yourself possessed. <laughs> there's also so there are
1: some undoers in here.
0: Yeah, I guess it's that's wall true. wall-to-wall scary. Yeah, but they claim that this won't banish stuff. Right.
1: Yes. You Kristen, know do You, think you just got to take it as it comes.
0: Do you think there's any chance that they were just trying to be spooky?
1: No, nah, there's absolutely no way. There's no way, right? <laughs> this is all of substance.
0: On yeah. page 91, a most excellent charm against the hordes of demons that assail in the night.
1: Right on. Which only most makes me excellent. think excellent.
0: Bill and Ted, yeah. <laughs> you know? A most excellent charm yeah. <laughs> against the hordes <laughs> of demons. Um. There's the Book of Calling with a love spell okay. in it. Uh, the Book of Fifty Names. They're the Fifty Names of Marduk. Because uh, he, he was given 50 powers to defeat Tiamat, you see, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite, of course, was uh, the 13th name, Tutu. Huh. Silences the weeping and gives joy to the sad and ill at heart.
1: That's nice. Tutu. I mean, just the name Tutu is a little, like, perky, yeah. so...
0: How's it going, Tutu? I already feel a little joyful. Yeah, I feel joyful yeah. now.
1: My heart's turning a corner.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Megan, which uh, is sort of a Sumerian creation epic, um, it sort of explains where the world came from. Uh, at one point it says, Tiamat, enraged, filled with evil motion, said, let us make monsters that may go out and do battle. Which I love that there was some yeah. translation. You know, let's... Let us make monsters is such a simplistic. Yes. If somebody just told you to make a monster,
1: right? It's not so. It's not very flowery. It's right. to the point. But if you think about what it is, that's horrifying.
0: Yes. Um, then uh, it closes again with another, um, uh, the other half of the uh, 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 Abdul Al Hazred. Um, text where he explains his personal experience with it. But in the, in this second half, now that he's documented everything, you sort of get the sense that his mind is unraveling. Mm. He's somewhat repeating what he said in his foreword, um, either to maybe punctuate a point or because he forgot that he said it. So it's really sort of painting a picture of somebody who has been, uh, destroyed to some extent by what he was documenting. And the way that it ends, is kind of that it doesn't end. The uh, Abdul Al Hazrid texts don't really culminate with any sort of grand thought, any wonderful sign off. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, it depends on how you interpret things. The stars grow dim in their places, and the moon pales before me as though a veil were blown aclo- across its flame. Dog-faced demons approach the circumference of my sanctuary. Strange lines appear carved on my door and walls, and the light from the window grows increasing dim. A wind has risen. The dark waters stir. This is the book of the servants of the gods. That's the end. And it doesn't really, you don't find out really who he was, what happened to him. The sort of implication is that he was working on it until he wasn't.
1: So I didn't realize there was kind of a narrative going along here. So it doesn't feel like there is in any way until – that last chapter? Because I guess I figured the there was the, the intro. The Yeah. and the
0: epilogue yeah. hmm. from uh, Abdul Al-Hazred, uh, which is kind of interesting. And it is sort of, um, I, I brought a few uh, books here to the show that you and I have talked about in the past yep. that are tied into pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twin Peaks is a, uh, a television series that you and I have both enjoyed made by David Lynch. Uh, and in the past few years, they compiled these dossiers, which purport to be in-universe um, explanations of things that happened to the characters in a town called Twin Peaks. And it's, a you know, newspaper articles about what happened to these fictional characters, things like that. Um, we've also got these Blair Witch books from the Blair Witch franchise. Similar thing. There's a documentarian who's um, accumulated all of these bits of material about characters and they're pretending that these worlds are real. Right. And weirdly enough, I feel like they're they're following the format of the Necronomicon. The Necronomicon is oddly a kind of like found footage book. Yeah. If you think about it as something that was compiled
1: and... Right, by a person to have everything in one spot that you shouldn't do. Right. They're yeah. doing this to to give you like a map away from what should be happening, basically. Exactly. So there is, you know, a documentarian who's in there. That's interesting.
0: And, it, you know, what I read to you before about the, the idea of... Um, of a grimoire being somebody's personal experiences with mm-hmm. things the necronomicon is uh, not the worst book in the world it's it's what abdul al hazred a fictional character granted is supposedly uh ha- has experienced mm-hmm. and this is his personal document it just got super duper famous because of hp lovecraft and horror movies and stuff like that right. but i honestly think that like if you compile your own personal experiences with something uh horrific in a tome, is that just a grimoire?
1: I guess it depends on if, you know, if it's kind of magical in nature because that seems to be like the defining characteristic of a grimoire is that it's mystical in some way. Right. So somebody's just regular diary of their like trek across Europe, like eat, pray, love is not a grimoire. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) That's a great (laughs) point. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But maybe if she encountered a bunch of witches and stuff and she had written down ways to engage with them or avoid them, depending on what kind of witch it was, then maybe you could say it was a grimoire. Interesting. That seems to be the key ingredient. There has to be something that's like not of this world that you're interacting with.
0: That makes sense. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, Guide to the Unknown There was a a version of the world where we considered this as something that could be a book. That's right. Is Guide to the Unknown as a podcast where we experience paranormal phenomenon week in, week out, while we talk about
1: about it. How you interact with it. I don't, I don't know we're if it's just straight sp- we're up. Technically,
0: you and I are like vessels for spreading these messages.
1: We are, but I think that the grimoire thing is more, It's it has to be somewhat like instructional in nature. I don't think it's just straight up documenting. Mm, okay. So in that sense, I don't know, they're grimoire adjacent because they might have to do with things that are not of this world, like the books we just talked about that document things. But I think there's something a little bit instructional about them that's, also important. One of the At Twin so, Peaks books tells you how yeah. to make
0: a cherry pie.
1: Okay, so there you go, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Supernaturally good cherry pie. That's yeah. all I need to know.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. That's that's yeah. my dissection, and, and finally getting uh, uh, close contact with the Necronomicon. Yeah. Uh, Seven ninety nine Barnes and Noble. <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: Well, frankly, you shouldn't bother because it's danger in here. This book is telling you not to read Supposedly. it, Supposedly, We'll see what happens to me, I guess. Yeah, 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 jury's still out, I suppose. So another famous grimoire, I think that when you think of the word grimoire, if you do, people probably don't think about it all that much. Constantly, every morning. <laughs> yeah. grimoire. grimoire!
0: Sorry, I wake up every yeah.
1: morning. <laughs> grimoire. Um, it's kind of interchangeable with the term Book of Shadows. These are both things that people make today. Like if you go on Pinterest and you look look up Grimoire or book or look up book of shadows, you'll see people making their own things. They're not necessarily always sinister. Cause again, the main thing is that it's something that is mystical. It's something a little otherworldly and something that you want to document for yourself. So some people are all about that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I guess people just like being spooky in general. People
1: like being spooky. And it's, You know, a lot of it could be – a lot of, like, kind of modern eclectic witchcraft from, like, reading and things like that is mostly about your intention. Like, there are religions and organized things within witchcraft, like Wicca or paganism or whatever, but there are a lot of people who are just sort of, you know, vaguely – well, if not vaguely, spiritual, but not boxing themselves in. So those people might make a book of shadows or a grimoire to remind themselves of the phases of the moon or oh, okay. herbs that are good for this or that or whatever. Um, and so I guess the reason that's in my awareness is that people call them either grimoires or books of shadows when they post them online. And so I decided to look up what the deal is with a book of shadows and where that originally came from. And it actually is... It's kind of almost like a brand name of a grimoire. So if grimoires are tissues, a Book of Shadows traditionally is Kleenex. Okay. Like a Book of Shadows traditionally is a Wiccan grimoire. Oh, okay. And there's kind of a crazy story I wasn't expecting. It's a little bit like soap opera behind this. So Excellent. I really, really stepped in it. So. The first Book of Shadows that was called that, that we really know about, was from this guy named Gerald Garner, who is known as the father. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's also the name of a character in the children's movie Heavyweights from the 90s. It's the name of <laughs> a fat right. kid
0: from a comedy movie. Yes, so, yes. All right.
1: About a kid who goes Gerald to that Gerald Garner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Gerald Stiller Garner.
0: gives him a hard time.
1: Yeah. yeah. Gerald Garner gets a little bit of a hard time in 1950s Wicca. Oh, Although yeah? it seems like he kind of had it coming to him. Right. So whatever. <laughs> Gerald Garner. Sorry, that well, really through me. <laughs> perhaps he's the grandson of Wicca, Maybe. as Gerald Garner in the 50s was yeah. the father of Wicca. Um, so he introduced something to his coven, which was called the Bricket Wood Coven in England in 1952, that he called his Book of Shadows. And he said it was interesting that you use an analogy of a cookbook before, because he said the same thing. He told them this is like a cookbook of spells. And you can look at and it's been passed down to him through generations. It he says he's just revealed this now, but he's had this for a while. And he told them that they could look at it, copy things down into their own books of spells, but then add or subtract things as they want to, to make Mm. it personalized for them. Um, Let me see. Okay. So But as I said, there was kind of a little bit of scandal around it a little while after he presented it. So he presented it in 1952, and he also started to correspond by letter with a young witch named Doreen Valiente, the best young witch name I can think of. Yeah,
0: Doreen Valiente. Doreen
1: Valiente was corresponding with Gerald Garner because he was like a a big wig in the Wiccan circle in England during that time. Yeah. Um, and she eventually came and joined the coven in 1953. So the year after he presented the book of shadows to the coven, um, she eventually wrote in her book called the rebirth of witchcraft in 2018, that she kind of caught Gerald Garner um, plagiarizing from oh. some other things in the book of shadows. He said that everything that he found from it was from ancient practices and people passing things down to him. But it seems like he may have been banking on the idea that people in his coven maybe weren't as well read as he was, but Doreen Valiente was. Mm. So she looked at this and realized that he was pulling a lot from Aleister Crowley. Sure. Or Crowley? Is it? Crowley?
0: I think it's. I think it's Crowley. It's
1: Crowley. Yeah, Crowley. Um, he was pulling a lot from Aleister Crowley um, and some some other books that Crowley pulled from. So some things made sense. Like if, if there was a really old magical practice that actually is ancient, it would make sense that Crowley pulled from it and maybe this guy pulled from it too. But there were some phrases that were like directly lifted from Crowley. Oh, wow. That she was like – and I see what you're doing here, yeah. and I'm. I'm not you're
0: trying to be Crowley
1: it. 2.0, exactly. And it wasn't working. Although, I mean, I guess it was kind of working. It was very popular. Hmm. So, in terms of popularity, maybe he was like a little bit of Crowley 2.0, but maybe the softer side of Crowley. Because part of the reason she didn't like that stuff in the Book of Shadows is that she liked the idea of the Book of Shadows, but she didn't like Crowley's reputation, and she didn't want that kind of staining what they were doing in Wicca. Because while Crowley engaged in like occult stuff and witchcraft, he didn't. Identify as Wiccan, I believe. Okay. Um, She also said in her book that it seemed like he pulled the name Book of Shadows from a magazine and that it wasn't. The name wasn't something that was passed down to him either. Just from a magazine? Yes. Um, So she said – she points to the fact that he wrote a book about magic called High Magic's Aid in 1949 that was supposed to be about medieval magic and kind of old magic. And you would think if this is the case and this guy is known about this stuff, there are kind of two arguments you can make. She was saying, if this guy knew about the Book of Shadows and it was so integral to Wicca, why didn't he write about it in this book that he wrote three years before Uh he presented the Book of Shadows to his coven? You could say, well, maybe he wanted to keep it secret and then he decided to
0: present it to his Hold all the material and then release something that's more specifically focused on it.
1: Or maybe he didn't want to share that with like the larger world in a public book and wanted to keep it a little bit right. more private within his coven, but she doesn't really feel that way. And she thinks that he found the term Book of Shadows, which this is very funny to me. She said there was a magazine in 1949 that was called The Occult Observer. And there he had placed an ad in that magazine for his book. Book, High Magic's Aid. And coincidentally or not, there was an article right across from the ad called The Book of Shadows <laughs> that was written by a palmist, like somebody who's into palm reading, palmistry, um, named Mir Bashir. And it was about a supposedly ancient Sanskrit, um, uh, method of divination by reading the length of people's shadows. Oh. So it wasn't the same, it wasn't about a grimoire called The Book of Shadows, but she said it, she feels like he saw the name, was like, huh, it's a pretty good name. And maybe things sprung from there, and that just wasn't his original idea. Weird. So when she joined the coven, because she's like very well read, Dorian Valiente is all over it, she's really applying herself, she ended up rising to the position of high priestess within the coven.
0: Is that hard to do?
1: I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. It sounds big.
0: <laughs> Congratulations! But it occurred to me. I was about to be like, "Whoa!" And then I was like, "But maybe there are two people in the coven." I don't know how this works. I don't
1: think so. I think because he was like, he was a big deal. So I don't, I don't think it was a teeny coven. Yeah. And also, there was a split later where people from the coven left with Valiente, which suggests to me that there are enough people to split off. Okay. So I think this is like a decently sizable coven. Um, don't have the Mid-tier. numbers in front of me. Mid tier. Mid tier coven. coven. So she's rising up in the ring. She's starting to be a muckety muck. And she tells him like, I see what you've done here. There's a lot of Crowley stuff in here and I'm not about it. And he got defensive and he said, there was a book of shadows passed down to me, but a lot of the info and in it was kind of fragmented. So I had to sort of fill in the gaps myself. So it was readable. And he said, if you could think you could do a better job at this, then why don't you go ahead and do that? And so she did. Oh wow. She was like, all right, I'm going to re edit your book of shadows to take out the Crowley isms. Um, she did that and that is the um Gardnerian Book of Shadows that you can buy today on Amazon and I would imagine Barnes & Noble.
0: Really? <laughs> yes. It's so it's it's so deflates
1: <laughs> I know.
0: that these things are available. But you know
1: what? Is it fair that it deflates it? It's I don't think it's totally fair that it deflates it. You know what I mean? I feel the same way because it's not just like a leather-bound book somewhere that you can't right. access. But maybe it was meaningful to enough people that it gradually like rose up the chain.
0: I guess that's true. There I mean there you used know? to be like weird occult bookstores. Maybe they're still still are whatever. Yeah. But like I feel like uh the second that somebody in a coven is like, "Well, we, how are we going to get this into borders?" Yeah. It just makes it less special, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's such a mundane pursuit. Like, we got a listing on Amazon. Mm-hmm. How are the reviews for the Necronomicon right. on Amazon? How are they coming? Are they go- is it going well for us? Yeah. It's it just, I don't know. Let's less- it's less fun. It's less creepy.
1: It makes it feel less special when yeah. something's out on pa- in paperback with like a pastel cover right. as the Gardnerian uh, Book of Shadows is. But even the way it came into publication is a little dramatic. Um, and I'll get there in just a second to do things chronologically. So she edited the work. She took out all the Crowley stuff. She put in some things of her own that were totally new to the book of shadows that are apparently pretty central to Wicca now that people are all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were very into this new book of shadows are very happy with it. But, She ended up leaving the coven in 1957. So she came in in 53, shook up the Book of Shadows, and then left in 57. Um, She and other members of the coven felt like Gardner was courting too much publicity. Um, He was very into kind of the cachet of being like the boss Wiccan. And they were trying to keep this like – um, you know, a little insular and this is their religion small. and what are you doing? You're, you're making this a thing that it's not. And apparently he, they came to him and the covenant and said, you're doing this. We don't like it. It kind of goes against our principles. And he apparently rattled off some Wiccan laws on the spot that justified what he was doing. And a lot of people didn't like that because they said they thought he was just making it up right then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's like when, like when well, a little well, kid is no, yeah.
0: playing, you know, a sport or something. And they're like, uh, no, no, I get four strikes. because You know, I get to go again.
1: It sounds like exactly that. Like, it's like, no, no, uh, actually, right. um, if you read the text, which I can't show you, but uh, whatever. Right. Um, and I will say, like, part of this is is me putting my – inter not even interpretation onto it. This is what I read. I'm sure that you could find articles online that are maybe more pro-Gardener where they're like, well, Valiente was keeping the Wiccan religion from growing. She wanted to keep it small or something. Right. I don't know. That could be the case. I used Wikipedia for these things, which are – depending on who is editing it. Wikipedia. Put- Wikipedia. I wonder if there's Wikipedia. There's definitely Wikipedia. There's definitely Wikipedia. But you know, they're they're like pretty cut and dry. There wasn't a ton of personality put into these Wikipedia pages. But it seems to me like Valiente was a real deal, like hardcore studying Witch and Wiccan. Okay. And not to say Gardner wasn't, because it seemed like he did a lot for the movement and he obviously brought the Book of Shadows into popularity. But seemed like he maybe got caught up in publicity a little bit. I wonder if he wanted to emulate a little bit of the fame and infamy like that Crowley had. I could be totally wrong. I'm basically hedging my bets because I'm saying I know this is some people's religion and maybe they're like all about Gardner and I'm sorry to smear his name if that's the case, but take it up with Wikipedia. So, she left in 1957 when that happened and a lot of people went with her and she kind of started her own coven, but that book remains that they worked on today. It doesn't look like her, her name isn't on the front of it or anything, but she obviously gets credit for it in some way. She has some sort of legal dealings with it because I read a little bit about how it came into publication and it was just a tiny nugget. I felt like if I got into it further, it could be its own whole thing, but I'm just going to tell you the, the one sense that maybe be like, Huh? What's going on with this guy, Gardner? Wikipedia said that his rival, Charles Cardell, published material from his Book of Shadows, this guy has rivals. Uh,
0: my left rival, and right. Charles sp- Cardell.
1: <laughs> people splitting off from coven's. I feel like this guy was really shaking up the Wicca world.
0: There, he's only not making making up with that guy so that he can be like my rival, yes, Charles so- Cardell. Yeah, we would has struck again.
1: We would love to have a rival. We were talking in the beginning we with were. Jennifer about who our nemesis podcast would yeah. be, and we don't have one. So we maybe don't have maybe any enemies. No, so maybe we haven't truly made it. Yeah, yet, you're right. Honestly,
0: yeah. you can't get to a, a, a few hundred listens without making an enemy or two. Right? <laughs> no. That's
1: absolutely right. Couple dozen. Yeah. <laughs> Baker's dozen. So his rival published his book. Number one, he has a rival. Number two, bold move on the rival's part. That's a real like power stance to be yeah. like, I'm publishing this and it's mine now. <laughs> but then later on, Doreen Valiente who worked on that book of shadows gave permission to another group of people to publish the actual complete work that they did together as that Gardnerian book of shadows that you can find. Hmm. So I guess his rival published pieces of it and Dorian Valiente gave the okay to do the actual book of shadows. So basically, even at its start, it's even though the Book of Shadows and grimoires are kind of the same thing, the literal Wiccan Book of Shadows had a collaborative sort of evolving history right from the beginning. And so it's not super surprising that, as I said in the beginning, people make their own grimoires, right. make their own books of shadows, and it's very amorphous and just kind of whatever you want it to be, which seems kind of in keeping with the way that they started. I kind of
0: like that it's a patchwork. I like the idea that uh, a bunch of people can claim ownership to a single idea and express themselves in different ways, and it's just as valid as anything else.
1: Yeah, and it, might, like just, it might just be that calling it a grimoire or calling it a book of shadows. If it's not something that's part of your Wiccan religion and is kind of a big part of it. But if you're somebody who just sort of practices a little bit of grab-baggy spirituality, if putting your thoughts or intentions or spells or whatever is meaningful to you that has to do with another part of the worldly experience that we can't see, if putting that into something that you call a grimoire or or a book of shadows makes it a little bit more solid and impactful to you then that's totally awesome i can see why people like spending time decorating a book yeah. that kind of keeps their intentions and wishes that can make it a little bit more of a positive thing and put it a little bit more in the front of your mind and yeah. whatever does that i think is great so totally. if it's a grimoire then that rules it's almost like bullet
0: journaling or yes. just like keeping a diary or a um a, a not a collage book yeah,
1: scrapbook. Scrapbook. That's definitely part of why I know about it. So I do, um, I work for a company called Boho Berry that does a lot in the world of bullet journaling. And so I see people referring to um, their grimoires or their spell books. And it's basically... Oh, do you? Really? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Like not a ton, ton, but it's essentially a, a bullet journal. They'll have kind of a table of contents in the front where they can flip and find the moon phases for the mm. year or teas that they feel correspond to certain things that are helpful for them or whatever. And it's just kind of... I definitely see them as sort of modern grimoires or spell books. Interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. And so, again, so as far as pop culture goes, the Necronomicon is a famous sort of grimoire. But the term Book of Shadows does pop up in pop culture here and there. Um, There is a so-called Book of Shadows in the show Charmed that was on in the 90s. It was a show about um, three witches, kind of like a lighthearted, like, fun show on the WB. And in that show, their Book of Shadows is inherently physically magical. Like, it can defend itself and, like, propel people from touching it or anything. (laughs) Yeah. Um in the 90s witch movie The Craft, it is said that a witch keeps her power thoughts in a book of shadows. Oh, power thoughts. I know, I like that too. That's like a different way to like phrase intentions. My
0: power, power thoughts. thoughts.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> it, it there's I a punch wish behind I had power it.
0: Thoughts. My thoughts you are could not have power thoughts. I keep a little notebook, but it just has like stuff I gotta get from the grocery store and things like maybe that. Maybe you should
1: switch it up. Maybe you should get some power thoughts in there and transform that thing into a book of shadows. Yeah,
0: maybe I should. <laughs> It's time. Yeah, there's nothing interesting in here.
1: <laughs> well, that doesn't mean there can't ever be. No, not, it does. Not <laughs> 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 I know <laughs> myself. Not unlike, you know, Valiente transforming Gardner's Book of Shadows. Maybe it's time to transform Willie's pocketbook.
0: Maybe. I've got the fax number for PetSmart.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? <laughs> That could be pretty powerful, depending on what be. you need.
0: Yeah, it's all about how you use it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And the last book of shadows in pop culture that I will reference, which we kind of have right here as props, um, is that the second Blair Witch movie was called Blair Witch Two: Book of Shadows, and then I'm weirdly, take issue with you.
0: what it's called Book of Shadows: Blair Witch Two, oh. which is way worse
1: that is worse but the book yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: who puts the subtitle ahead of the title
1: yeah it is very weird and then there is no book of shadows in that movie no that's <laughs> There's nothing not. to do with it's anything. one of the most
0: notoriously terrible movies ever made
1: yes i love it
0: yeah <laughs> cool
1: so that's it those are grimoires and books of shadows
0: books of shadows so mm-hmm. uh uh Go grab a notebook, fill it with your power thoughts. Yeah,
1: turn it into a book of shadows. It's that easy.
0: Absolutely, anybody can do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Truly, they can.
0: We tried to look up if there were any um, grimoires available at the library. I did. We failed.
1: I did. I, uh, I first didn't use kind of like the the search engine, like, to exclude things. And so it first looked like there were, but it was from, like, a bunch of libraries in New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. And they weren't serious, like, grimoires. It was, like, a comic book called Grimoire and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's that's not quite the same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it would have been cool if we could have found – I always want there to be some, like, like, dusty back corner with all the the big books that nobody sees.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
0: hidden there in the stacks is the one evil book, something like that.
1: I was hoping. But, you know, know. it's probably for the best that there's not – I was hoping for the purpose of the show, but it's probably best for all of us that there isn't one hidden here in the Sayreville Public Library. Unless I about to say she did go flying out, maybe she's going to yeah, get that's one. True. Yeah. yeah. Unless you know they're not inherently bad, so I shouldn't say it's good that there isn't one. Maybe, maybe the, she's flying may out be a, to like, choose out. A wonderful protective out. one. Yeah. She's
0: about to choose someone out because there are no grimoires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean we don't have any evil books here? Yeah.
1: Maybe she put together a grimoire. She put it in a corner of the library for protection. Oh, I would love And she's that. cheesed that it didn't show up on the directory.
0: I would love that. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, all right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for hanging yep. out with us. Thank you, everybody, for coming out uh, to our you. live show here at the Sayerville Public Library. We really yep. appreciate it. We hope you had a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You can also follow at GTTU pod on all social media to stay up to date through the week about spooky things going on in the world. Uh, Join our secret Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash GTTU pod.
1: We also Um, really appreciate if you left us a review on Apple podcasts or whatever podcast app you use.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you go to patreon.com slash GTTU pod, you can back the show as so many of you have done become a netherworld warrior. Um, and get exclusive material from us, uh, uh, talking about movies, uh, bonus videos of us. A bunch of people have done it, and thank you all so much for your support.
1: Yeah, there's an extra episode of Guides the Unknown that comes out on the 15th of every month, so you'll get that if you donate it at that $4 and up tier. And then we've also just been sprinkling extras on top of that here and there. We're only a little bit into October, and we already have two extra videos up there, so get some bang for your buck.
0: Absolutely. So thank you all again so much for hanging out with us. We will see you again next week for more special spooky stories from the world of the unknown. But until that time comes, we must travel.
1: Back to the netherworlds, don't we? Thanks, guys. Thanks
0: for coming. Yeah, thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Hope you had a good time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. Take care. And happy Halloween. Yeah, Thank happy you. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yes. Oh I yes. You,
1: I hope you top your best number.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have, have fun.
1: One forty-five. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
0: Al, would you Would you stop the stream yeah. there? Bye, anybody who may have been Bye. there. Bye. Bye. Tell
1: them. Um, uh, Taylor says that Snape wrote a book of shadows out of his
0: potion. Mm. Oh, that's oh. kind of true. Yeah, that's Snape cool. did kind of turn his potion book by like...
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: he wrote a new spell. He wrote sempra
1: Yeah, Se- Sectum Sempra?
0: Sectum sempra? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yep. Oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of true.
1: Yeah, that is true.
0: I was cool, thinking partway through. I would like to throw a Harry Potter reference in, but I couldn't there think of one. one. There is one. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Um, cool. All right.
1: Good bye, guys. Bye,
0: bye everybody. Oh. There's not an end button? Hmm.
1: hmm.
0: Weird Quick Kristen dance Hurry
1: Just slightly Yeah Yeah. (laughs)